This is episode 182, Shine from the Inside Out with Summer Catherine. My name is Tudor Alexander, and this is the Dance of Life podcast. Every week, my goal is to inspire you to take action towards what you love, live a transformed life, and enjoy the journey there. Are you ready? Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you're having an amazing day. Happy Friday to you, if it happens to be Friday when you're listening to this. We have an amazing guest today that I want to share with you. But first, a quote that you probably have heard the first two lines of, but we're going to go a little bit more in depth. This is from Marianne Williamson from her book, A Return to Love, Reflections on the Principles of A Course in Miracles. And I think it's so appropriate for today's episode on how to shine from the inside out. So it goes something like this. Like I said, you probably have heard the first two lines. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, that's from Marianne Williamson in her book, A Return to Love. That's uh, not the politician, by the way. It's a, it's an author. Return to Love, Reflections on the Principles of A Course in Miracles. If you ever read A Course in Miracles, it's a huge book. It's a difficult read, I would say but there's been a lot of summary books and reflection books on it from different people. So that's one of them. Great, great author. Great quote for today's episode on shining from the inside out. My guest is Summer Catherine. I'm super excited to introduce you to her. We got a lot of great juicy things to talk about today. Summer is a woman who has reinvented herself, not only from necessity, but from the absolute knowing that when we are in tune with our divinity, we cultivate and accentuate our talents. She believes that it is her dharma and her responsibility here to demonstrate, embody, and elucidate that each of us has something powerful to say and to give. Her greatest desire is to guide women and girls in the absolute understanding that they are not in their past, that they are not the pieces that they believe are broken, and that they don't have to stay stuck in their stories or in their current circumstances, be it body, brain, or belief. She wants to hold hands with the women around her while they all rise above their pain and realize their ultimate full potential together. Some are dreams of a world where women know and experience their power, where women shine and fully come into the knowing that there is a miracle inside of them, where women experientially understand that their value does not lie in their bodies, clothing, or nature, but it is inherent and that they meet their soul's fullest potential by shining from the inside out. Summer has a master's degree of science in speech and language pathology. She's an intuitive eating coach, studies accelerated evolution, and utilizes these trauma processes in her coaching. 
Above all, she is in the business of enlightenment and guides her clients to do the same. Now, if you want to get in touch with Summer, she's going to be at www.summercatherine.com. That's summer like the season, S-U-M-M-E-R, C-A-T-H-R-Y-N, Catherine.com. Her Instagram is at sunnysummer04, and Facebook is summerbloyer, B-L-O-Y-E-R. Now, Summer is being super generous with her time, and she said that anybody who listens to this episode and mentions this episode episode 182, just so you get the number right, you get a free one-hour coaching session. That's that's really, really valuable, guys. I mean, time in general, anybody that's going to give you their time is super, super valuable. But Summer is a very, very accomplished coach and leader and inspiring person, and she is willing to give an hour of her time for free for anybody who mentions this episode. So make sure you get in touch with her. Check out her website to see what kind of work that she does, and if it inspires you, if there's a good fit, then absolutely take advantage. I mean, that's an absolutely great, great offer. So make sure you check her out, summercatherine.com. And like I said, I am super, super stoked to share this interview with you. Summer is an inspiring leader and coach, and she's helped many, many clients, many of them women, transform their confidence, change their brain, and regain their power mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. In this episode, Summer shares her story and struggle and how she came to walk the path that she is on today. We also do a deep dive into how to change your brain, intuitive eating, sexuality, empowerment, acting on your vision, a lot, a lot of juicy stuff. Super excited to get into this with you guys. Let's head into the interview, a little music to jam out, and here we go. What's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another awesome episode on the Dance of Life. We are here with Summer Catherine. How are you? I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much, Stuart. I appreciate it. This, we, I literally have, like, I've been looking forward to this interview so long because I have a list here of, like, 10, 15 awesome, really juicy questions that we can get into. Like, <laughs> I love juice. I yes. love juice. Yes, let's do it. But first, like, let's let's jump into a little bit about who you are, like where your journey has taken you, where you are now, where you've come from. So you you do coaching, but you also started as a speech pathologist, right? That's it. Kind of, so how how is that journey for you? How did you make the transition in coaching? What do you do now? Yeah, like, what you know, that? we can go back even a little further. Yeah. So I think many women share a similar story. Okay. And my story is. Um, I had religious trauma growing up and sexual trauma in college. I had an eating disorder. And even after that, a disordered eating. And then... A disordered eating. Like, mm-hmm. basically, you swung in the opposite direction. So, eating disorder means, like, anorexia. And then you swung kind of just not really caring what you eat after that? No, or? actually, um, it's more similar to an eating disorder than one might think. Although, so mm-hmm. disordered eating would be, like, if you had any rules around food at all. So any rules that we put around food are typically a way to numb or to avoid our own emotional issues. Okay. So that's what I mean by disordered eating. Gotcha. So I wasn't um, still involved in an eating disorder actively, but I still was counting my macros or going on random diets, restricting. Interesting, yeah. And then 
you know, repeating that cycle. Some sort of obsessive pattern with, with eating. Yes, which I think many women and men share. Although I'm sure they wouldn't want to call it obsessive. They might just say, well, I'm trying to be healthy or I'm trying to eat. There's some justification for it, right? Exactly. (laughs) I'm just going to go on this six weeks diet or I'm just going to go on this, you know, jumpstart program or I'm going to go to red non weight loss or whatever it is, right? That's still disordered eating. Mm. It's still disordered eating. If you think about, you know, as a child grows up, we don't put them on diets. We have an internal guiding system that directs what we need, what our body needs to survive. Think about any mammals, any animals, for that matter. We don't put them on diets. Yeah. How do they know? Yeah, they go with their gut, the gut feeling. Yeah. Pardon the pun, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So how do they know what to eat? How do they know what nutrients they need? Hmm. Like, they intuitively eat, for lack of a better word. Okay, so any rules that you put around your food and diet is typically a way to avoid or numb other kinds of emotions and what's really going on. So mm. that happened. You know, I experienced abusive relationships, which again, I think many other women experience. Yeah. Um, I had children. I um, had a degree in women's studies and then decided that my, I had a passion with working with women. And um, I was working with women who were breastfeeding and I was teaching a course at the community college on parenting. And so I was working with a speech pathologist mm. and I thought, uh, and she was sort of guiding me and coaching me in working with women and, and breastfeeding their babies. And it was so incredibly interesting. And about this time, also my sister's son was diagnosed with autism and there was a speech pathologist working with him. I thought this is what I want to do. It's so multifaceted. Mm-hmm. I want to know what's going on in these babies' mouths. I want to fix these children's brains. I want to fix their behavior. I want to teach them how to speak. I want to do all this. So I ended up going to graduate school and becoming a speech and language pathologist. Wow. And so right out of the gate, I thought, oh, I'm going to work with babies breastfeeding or I'm going to work with kiddos with autism. But what I ended up doing was working at um, a rehab hospital, an inpatient rehab hospital, working with adults that have suffered a traumatic brain injury, um, a stroke, gotcha. um, heart attack, anything that has to do with the brain. And that was my job. In fact, speech pathology is anything from the neck up. So that means voice, it means um, speech, it means any oral motor functioning, it means um, swallowing, cognition, memory, anything that has to do with the brain, and of course language. That's really interesting. Yeah. So I was having the time of my life um, working at the hospital. was great. And I was also working in pediatrics at the school because I loved that schedule and I loved working with kids. So I did that for a long time. And um, even in my first neuroanatomy class, I was obsessed with the brain. And I thought it was the most fascinating thing ever because it literally controls everything we do. It controls Mm -hmm. our beliefs, our behaviors, our thoughts, our emotions, our outcomes, our, our actions. experience of reality is it's crazy. It's, it's so incredibly fascinating. And so that was why I loved working with adults. I was really passionate about that inpatient rehab because I was the first one to tell these families or these patients how their brains worked. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to have a stroke? What does it mean to recover from a stroke? How do you recover from a traumatic brain injury? How does a person go from being comatose and have you know, a G2 and be on a ventilator to operating and being a functional member of society. And how does that work? How does your brain do that? Hmm. So I had the beautiful opportunity to talk to families and to talk to patients about how that works. 
and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. What was uh, one story or experience from that time that you can remember that really left an impression on you? Oh my gosh! Whether I mean, I'm sure you yeah, have a lot. Dozens, but there was one story. There was I will never forget. It was while I was an intern, and I was studying under. It was, it was, it was a clinical practicum, and I was in the inpatient um, rehab hospital. And there was a gentleman who had been a CrossFit champion. Wow. He had been like competitive worldwide in CrossFit, and he had a stroke. And I'm guessing it was, you know, a family issue that was unmedicated, high blood pressure, whatever. He had a stroke and um, he had what's called um, aphasia. And what aphasia is, it is that the language center of your brain is affected, specifically the expressive language part of your brain. That means how you express yourself, the way you speak, right? Like the tone of voice? No, your words. The words. So okay. he was unable to use any words except one, two, three, four, five. And so he was trained to communicate with his three almost grown Why did he remember one, two, three, four, five? Like, why that? It's just an interesting story. So if you think about your brain, it, it reverts back to sometimes um, some really basic concepts hmm. that you have. In fact, I had one patient who, uh, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, go Okay, go I had one patient who had a patient who could only ever swear. That's all he did. That was it? Yeah, and especially son of a bitch. They were a very religious family, so it was wow. difficult for them. But he would say, son of a bitch, son of a bitch, son of a bitch. Like he's right, trying to say a sentence, but the only words he yes. has is son of a bitch. Wow. Yes. So, you know, patients with aphasia just have difficulty with that expressive language piece. Wow. In particular, and it can also go along with receptive language. But in this case, um, his expressive language had a really difficult time. So he was saying one, two, three, four, five. And his grown sons were so frustrated. They didn't know why this was happening. They couldn't understand what their dad was saying. They didn't know what kind of cognition he retained. Meaning, you know, what were yeah, was, what other parts? What was there? inside? Yeah. yeah. And when you can only say one, two, three, four, five, it's difficult to really demonstrate what you know. Even receptively, if I was to give him two pictures and say, "Touch ball," it was a ball and a sock. Touch ball. Maybe he was 50% accurate. Just that language center was brain. Interesting. Here. So would he have, a, in that sense, would he have a hard time identifying the ball because the word that we associate to yes. that picture? Yes. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. Yes. Yeah. So we were in a family conference. And I was the speech pathologist, but my um, supervisor was there. And his sons were there. The physician was there. This is for the one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. CrossFit, yeah. Yeah. My CrossFit patient. And um, they were talking about what they should do next. He was ready to leave the inpatient facility. Should he stay longer? Should he go to like a nursing home facility? Should he go home? And everyone was talking over him because, of course, he was saying one, two, three, four, five over and over and over again. Right. And his boys were getting frustrated. There was an uncle there. And his ex-wife was there. And my supervisor stood up. And she went around the table and she knelt down by his chair and she looked at him in the eye and said, what would you like? We can have you stay here. We can have you go home. We can have you go to a nursing facility. What would you like to do? And I was so incredibly touched by that demonstration of like person to person interaction mm -hmm. and her respect for his communication potential. 
I mean, I probably teared up in that meeting. It was so touching to me. And she helped him navigate through his intonation, the way he said things, you know, through pictures. Right then and there. Yeah, in the meeting. Wow. And she honored him. She honored him as a person with the ability to communicate just like any other person with the right to be heard. Mm -hmm. Right? She was there and she gave him that. And he was able to communicate. No, he didn't want to go to the nursing home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He wanted to go home. He wanted to participate in outpatient therapy. He didn't want to go anywhere else. And that's what we needed. We needed to hear what, what he wanted. Now, does every patient know what's best for them in every moment? No, not necessarily. That's why we have a team of professionals, you know, to talk about what's best for them, depending on, you know, where the lesion is in their brain is or, you know, what kind of impairments they have. But in this particular case, what he wanted was important. And it was really important that we heard that. That must have made a big impression on you being an intern and kind of seeing, like, it's like, wow, that's, that's why I'm here. That's why. I'm yes. This. this is patient-centered care. Mm. And something similar happened with the guy who could only say, son of a bitch. <laughs> he told me a story about his cat, and um, I heard him, mm-hmm. right? I looked at him in the eye, and I heard his story. Did I completely understand 100%? Oh, hell no. <laughs> Maybe 60%, right. right, based on gestures and his intonations and context from his wife. Was he using other words, though, when telling the story? Or no. Was- but he had pictures or something? His wife was like, he was using gestures. Oh, I see. Right? And his wife was like, well, I think he's talking about the cat. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. But I was able to look him in the eye and like, and and help him understand that what he has to say is important too. Hmm. Right? So that's where I would usually start with families and with patients. It's like what you have to say is important. I have time. I'm here to listen. You're valuable. So that was, that's impactful for me. And then, um, you know, when I would treat my patients and I was tell them about the brain and I would tell them how dynamic it is, how it can change, how we can change it. Now, just because you have this injured part of your brain does not mean that you'll never be able to do those things again. It's fascinating. I remember seeing, a, a, I'm sure you know about this, but there was a, a girl who had like literally half her brain removed. Yeah. And somehow the other half, like, you know, caught up and, and balance, you know, was taking over the part of the missing brain. It's just phenomenal. It's like, what a, we don't even understand anything, like 10% of how this thing works. No. Right? You know? And it's just, they're all so different. Mm-hmm. So sometimes patients would ask me, what's going to happen in six months? I don't know. Every brain is different. Yeah. Every stroke is different. Every injury is different. But I can tell you that there are brain cells, there are freestyle brain cells sitting out there waiting to come and help any brain cells that are impaired. So I can help you make new connections. I can change the pathways in your brain. I can help you do that. Crazy, man. So you want to do something? I can help you go off road, off of those highways. I can help you make brand new connections. I can help you elicit those other brain cells and we can make brand new beliefs and brand new connections. But the fundamental thing that my patients had to know was that they were capable of doing it. As possible. That they had to change their belief about their brain first before anything else could happen. I mean, I've watched patients die because they did not believe that they could get better. Hmm. And on paper, it looks like they had every chance in the world of surviving and thriving. But their belief is what made the difference. Hmm. And I've seen the opposite. I've seen on paper 
something devastating and I go and visit this patient, doesn't look anything like what I saw on paper. And the difference is their belief. That is the difference. It's the key. That's where it starts, right? I mean, ultimately, everything begins with belief. If you believe that something is possible, then you'll find a way. I mean, there's so many, like you said, so many examples in everywhere, in, in everywhere where you see that belief, un, that unshakable certainty of like, I'm going to make it or this will work out somehow. Yes. Epigenetics. Epigenetics. You've ever heard of Dr. Joe Dispenza or Dr. Amen or any yeah. of that? Epigenetics. We have literal, you know, we have evidence of that. If you've ever, you know, studied energy or metaphysics, we have evidence that your thoughts create matter. It was an interesting, gosh, I, uh, I mean, two things that just reminded me of. I, inter- I interviewed a guy um, named Dawson Church, Dr. Dawson Church, and he wrote a book called Mind to Matter. Mm-hmm. So several, several interviews, I think it's episode 140, whatever, it doesn't matter. The book, though, phenomenal. Like the, the study, he did it like an entire research book on all these different cases where literally mind is creating matter yes. like on healing and how yes. they study these different healers and how they were able to impact particles yes. with their mind. Like, I'm just like, Oh, Oh my God. And he was telling me one thing I'll never forget that I took from it was that every second we have 800,000 new cells in our body. Mm. Every second, 800,000 new cells. And so he's like the, when you're in a coherent state, meaning, you know, that relaxed theta, yeah. you know, whatever high mind heart connection, when you're in that coherent state, those cells are coming healthy and they're growing and they're, you know, but if you are in an incoherent state, if you're stressed out, if you're, you know, mind is somewhere where it shouldn't be, you're in some beta survival mode, whatever else, yeah. right? Every second, you're populating your body with that field of, of disharmony and 800,000 cells, I mean, there's, there's a lot of cells in there, you know, so one of them is going to be a problem eventually. Oh, so, yeah, absolutely. Know, so that is what, that's actually what brought me into coaching is this realization that like, it's your belief, it is your brain, mm-hmm. it is brain based and, um, being more familiar with trauma, trauma integration, healing my own past around sexual trauma, my yeah. eating disorder, et cetera, et cetera. So I started, um, once I started talking about my trauma and realizing the changes that my brain was undergoing and the beliefs that my brain was undergoing and how my life was changing. And I paralleled that with my experience with my patients. And I thought, this whole time I've been coaching. Hmm. Yes, I've been doing speech therapy. You're already yes. on the path. Yes, I'm a pathologist. Yeah. But a coach is a, a, is a pathologist. We want to, we want the etiology. Yeah. We don't want to stay there. Yeah. We don't want to dive into there. We don't want to live there. We don't want the pain to become our, our you know, wound and to keep like having that faster. But we have to know. And then we go on and then we, you know, change people's beliefs. So... Like it occurred to me, my God, this whole time I've been coaching. I've been coaching these people. So it made me feel like this is something I want to do on a bigger, more broad level. Mm-hmm. And being trauma-informed, that's another thing that, that I really I love some of those trauma-informed practices. And I love what you just said because it reminded me of this book. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. And it's a fantastic book. And it talks about um, how our bodies and our cells store trauma mm-hmm. and how they legitimately, our DNA is changed, turn different, um, oh, I can't remember the term now, 
but different like epigenetics to genes are yeah on exactly epigenetics. But I was trying to think about like the, the particular part of the cell that turns on and off in DNA. Oh. But um, but it literally is changed based on your emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Around trauma, and we're talking about obesity, stroke, heart disease, heart attack. People are living shorter lives, um, less quality when they're impacted by trauma, mm-hmm. and so that brought me to. Another study, which is now my um, it's really beautiful fascination with accelerated evolution and doing processes with people, which I'm sure you're familiar with, yeah, yeah. and helping them out of trauma. Um, so much of what I do with my patients in the hospital, and especially with the kids I work with in the, in the classroom, is outside of my speech pathologist scope, mm-hmm. right? Because what I want to do is I want to help them through their trauma. <laughs> it's all interrelated, isn't it's it? It's totally interrelated. Yeah. yeah. There's so much counseling and coaching and therapy and whatever and what I do. It's crazy. Day. You know, I, I mean, this is somewhat related, but like recently I went to like a holistic dentist for like bite realignment, you know, and, and learning about sleep apnea and all these different things that happen. And like... I mean, I, I just really dove into it. I read his book, you know, and like you start learning how literally, every, I mean, everything's connected to everything. We know that. At least we talk about that. Yeah. But we still, you know, until you have to dive in and it's relevant to you, you still operate under the idea that, oh, this is separate. My mouth is separate from whatever. So like the speech pathology, like, yeah, there's so many things about how your mouth is aligned, how you're talking, how that relates to the words that you feel, maybe even your confidence based on how your, you know, maybe jaw is positioned or... If you have a lisp, it's so interesting how, like I talked to a vision doctor uh, on the show a couple couple months ago, and she was, again, like a whole nother appreciation for vision about how all these kids, especially today, maybe that are diagnosed with ADHD, yeah. all these different things that we label as, oh, this is what it is. And well, actually, maybe it's not. Maybe it's a vision issue that's mm-hmm. causing certain behavior to, to trigger in or whatever, a speech issue because maybe of a misalignment in the jaw, like stuff that you never think about, but alignment, it comes down to alignment. This is, yeah, I, I've heard you say this before. It's like alignment is our birthright. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, for sure. And, and it's like, you know, what to you is the importance of alignment? Because from my background as well, let's say studying movement and dancing and stuff. One thing, like, I love how your journey really, I can really relate to it because it's like you, you realize like I've been coaching all along, like yeah. I've been doing this. And the same thing in my situation, I found it as I wanted to broaden my scope, like I already was doing the work. It's just like adding and making it more detailed. And one thing that was very relevant for me was alignment, studying alignment. Mm-hmm. It was like alignment. It really is everything. If you align your mind, you align your body, you align all the problems that we experience are a result of alignment. Mm-hmm. So, or misalignment, let's put it that way. Yeah. So what what does alignment mean to you, like in your work? How do you approach that in what you do? What is what does that mean to you? Like especially alignment is our birthright. Like what is to unpack that? Yeah, I, you know I love that question, and um, it kind of goes off to another facet of what I've done. So when I initially created um, these programs, I had a program for food freedom, right? So really just like focusing on food and body. Now that's related to your... Is that the Hungry for Healing? Uh-huh. It's Hungry yeah. for Healing. Nice. And I also created another program with my um, former partner, and it was called Goddess Awakening. We really dove down into the difference between masculine and feminine. So when you say alignment, 
for me, I immediately think of my own like feminine alignment mm-hmm. because for me, it is um, a state of being, right? It's being and it's remembering. So when I remember, so think of the word remember and then separate it, remember, like, right? You're bringing back those separate parts of yourself to one. Mm-hmm. So my own alignment is remembering my expression, my movement, my creativity, and how important that essence of being is to my like feminine core. Mm-hmm. As opposed to maybe men would be like doing. It would be like more vision quest, more focus, yeah. more, you know, Action. we're going to go and we're going to do. Yang. Yeah, totally. Whereas for me, my alignment is being, mm-hmm. you know, and it really is truly relaxing into that knowing and adding emotion to that knowing and then allowing my creativity and expression to come from there. So I know that when I've done the inner work, I can rely on inspired action. And when I take that inspired action, things open up for me. So I've had um, an interesting, some interesting challenges lately and I have some great guy friends and two of them actually told me the exact same thing. And they were like, Summer, you just got to rip the bandaid off. You just got to go for it. You got to make goals. You got to go for it. You got to do it. You got to jump off the cliff. And I was like, Typical that is, masculine that is energy. Such beautiful advice. Thank you so much. Actually, for me, it yeah. works best when I hold a very clear vision of what I want mm-hmm. and I take away I have zero attachment to how it's gonna happen. Yeah. Hundred percent certainty, zero attachment. Yeah. And then I take inspired action because that is where my alignment is. Yeah. When I hold that vision and I am just being and I'm expressing and I'm in my pleasure yeah. and I'm in my play and I'm in my yeah. feminine essence. Then I take that inspired action and I look and I find that the universe is surprising, surprising me, delighting here on every corner. That is how I get my shit done. (laughs) I love that. You know, it's God, you know, I I can so relate to this because it's been what you're describing has been a huge lesson in my life, actually, because of, you know, I'm a guy like my natural tendency is go for it. Push. In fact, I was just telling one of my clients the other day, I had this is a very simple thing that happened, but it was so profound. It's usually in the simple things, right? I was, I had parked my car in the parking lot. Usually I park behind the building where I work out of, so I don't have to deal with parking or traffic, but I parked it in the parking lot for some reason. And so I was walking back to my car and as I'm walking back to my car, imagine like the street that's, I mean, it's not a street, like it's in the parking lot, except, you know, where the cars go through and there's a car coming towards me. It's not close enough to where I'm like, fuck it, you know, I'm just going to let it pass. It's it's just like at the perfect length where I have to decide, do I push or right. go? <laughs> or do I wait? And in that moment, I'm like, fuck it, I'm just going to go. And so I rushed in front of this car and I'm like, wow. I'm like, some things don't change. Like, I'm, I've been working so hard to... Because I actually, like the whole attitude that you just expressed, I think that's incredibly wise and unfortunately it's very lacking in this western culture that's very driven by push yeah everything is about you just gotta push and and go for it and take action and the world is competitive and this and this rather than i would say more of an eastern wu way slash you know like when you align you look at the strongest forces in the universe and it's not forces that are chasing it's forces like gravity that that focus on the alignment and on what where you are and then that sucks in or gravitates the things that need to come to you and you just focus on that vision and if you're aligned with that vision like you said without you worded it beautifully without attachment 
then you just focus on that vibration. It, it will it will bring you the things that you that need to come to you at the right time. So you're tr- you're putting the trust in the greater mechanism rather than you trying to hijack the mechanism with your own limited human energy. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So yes. it's like that's been a huge lesson, but I think in society today we don't we don't see that. We don't see that. I think in men and women, especially you know, women now you 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 want to it's an equal opportunity world, right? So it's like women feel pressure to I got to put the bread down. I got to achieve myself. I, so it's this masculine energy, which is on overdrive, right? I mean, would you agree that it's on the overdrive? I think both genders have forgotten as a whole, certainly not like, you know, everyone, but if I can make a blanket statement as a whole, we've forgotten where, where our power is mm. and how we relate to one another in like a beautiful, healthy um, power. Cause my power comes when I express when I'm in my pleasure, when I'm in my turn on. And by turn, I don't mean like ready for sex. I mean yeah. my, um, my creativity, uh, yeah. when I'm inspired, when I have something I'm passionate about, that's where my power comes. Yeah. Not when I'm in the grind and I feel pressure and I feel micromanaged. That makes me feel exhausted. I have zero energy yeah. to do anything. Because that is not my truest nature. Something outside of you is sucking that creative energy yeah. away. Right. And so, and I think men have felt maybe, I don't like using this word, emasculated in a way, because there's so much adolescent toxic masculinity, right? I mean, I'm using the word adolescent, not because it's a literal literal adolescent energy, right. but sort of that immature. Yeah. yeah, it's that toxic masculinity is just immature masculinity. Yeah. Like they haven't come to their full realization of their own amazing, beautiful, masculine power and effect and service. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have this, you know, adolescent masculinity, which is toxic. And we have like this exhaustion for women and they come together and both feel disempowered and both feel unappreciated. And it's like this whirlwind of mess. So I think codependence and all kinds of trauma. Yeah, oh, trauma. Just, oh my God, so much just trauma. The cycle continues. Of Terrible. Blame game and everything else. So I think when women remember that their power is sinking back into who they really are, and men remember that their power is finding purpose and service. I mean, men, men can hold this amazing, wonderful presence and space for women to express and dance and be. Right. And it can be this gorgeous opportunity, this beautiful polarity where they operate, you know, in such a healthy way. We have a saying in the dance world, it's this old school saying, but I think it's actually really profound. It says the, the lady is the picture, the man is the frame. Mm. But it's, you know, that sounds like off the bat, like just this old, you know, kind of saying, but there's so much about movement and how the duality of male and female and I think we're so afraid of that you know well those like what do you think of I mean we'll see where this goes but you know what do you think of this whole like no gender like unisex everybody be the same crap that's going on today like, <laughs> honestly I'm a, I am especially obviously with my background I like male I like female I like duality whatever your preference is it doesn't matter there's, you know there's women that have masculine energy there's yes. men that have feminine energy it's not about sex here or gender it's about having a clear like you said understanding of which is which and how do they work together when are they in their power what because that's the light that's the force of creation right it's 
that duality that comes together. And I think we're trying to, for one reason or another, trying to abolish that. And I just don't see that really leading anywhere healthy, um, you know, for for society. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? What's what's your take on it? Um, so going well, in a lot of different directions, but yeah, I'll just start talking, and if I'm going in the wrong direction, then you guide me back, okay? <laughs> so what? Do I, well, okay. So let's start with this. I think like that, um, like transgender, um, uh, uh, binary, non-binary, all that is beautiful and perfect and amazing, and I honor and love and respect all of that. Yeah. And I want to hold space in whatever capacity that I can, whatever that means, I will do whatever, because that is their experience and I want to honor that. Yeah. And just like you said, I think, um, you know, we have different ratios of yeah. that masculine energy and feminine energy Absolutely. within us, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I could be talking to someone with, you know, male gender, like biology, yeah. and they might relate to what I'm saying about being in a feminine essence and feminine core because that's who they are on the inside, yeah. right? So, no discrimination based on your biology. Yeah. But... Um, I think that for women, and I've been here, I think that for women, many women, we feel like we've been like marginalized and had so much, so much misogyny for so many years. We're like, you know what? I'm done. How about we just like clearly like this feminine essence isn't, um, valued. So maybe we should just get rid of it. Right. Maybe we should be more like men. Right. So it feels like. What else are we going to do? Hmm. Like, we want this equality. Femininity is marginalized. It has been for millennia. What do we do? We become more like men. Maybe that's the answer. Hmm. Right? And I think that that direction is not a good idea. Hmm. Because we are forgetting our own power. We're forgetting who we really are. And, I, again, I don't just mean, like, biological women. The, the feminine. Aspects. Yeah. Right, our power and our beauty and our creativity and all of that lies in remembering that feminine essence and that vitality, that radiance, that shining, that openness. That's who we are fundamentally. I mean, it's you know, it's it's interesting because I I led this workshop earlier in the year for some residents, some doctors, some medical residents, and it were actually mostly women. There's there's some few men in there, but. It was just so funny because we didn't do much. We just, I guided them through some stillness activities, tuning into all these things about the feminine, you know, basically like, because initially I was asked like, okay, hey, can you come in and do some stuff? I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Like, what could I possibly contribute to all these? Like, they're really intellectual people. Like, okay, I, I could sit here and lecture all day about something, but what, can, let's get you in your body. Let's yes. get you in your body. Let's tune into that earth mother, you know, stillness, you know, feminine, relaxing, finding space. And it was really profound because I think especially, like, for example, we use the medical profession. That's on overdrive masculine. Go, yeah. go, go. Get it, especially in the emergency room or residence hall. And it was so profound to see just the impact of literally maybe sitting and doing nothing with themselves and reflecting had on their energy. Mm. So it's like, I think... Just like you said, like that, there's an imbalance of that feminine energy and women, especially you're the, you're the caretakers of that, you know, and it's like you're the, you're the role models that really can help us bring that forward, I think. And it's like if we lose that, then the only thing that's going to come is the masculine obvious drive. But that's going to be there no matter what. It's the less obvious, the subtle, yeah. the hidden, the, you know, yes. 
mysterious, uh, mysterious yeah. that gets lost so easily. Yeah, for sure. But yet everything that rules us is invisible and mysterious. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting. I love that you said that about the body. It's so interesting. The more I read and the more I study, the more I realize that that is where our information comes from. And this is like directly connected to the brain as well, mm-hmm. that we have these. And it's actually one of the things that I ask my clients all the time. Where do you feel it in your body? Mm-hmm. Because our body. So think about if your brain releases chemicals, right? Regardless of what emotion you're feeling, releases chemicals, goes to different meridians in our body where there are receptors mm-hmm. for those chemicals. So the body is truly the mouthpiece for our emotions, but also for our soul, because it is this limbic system that has deeper and greater knowledge for us. Mm. And that this limbic system is where we operate from with like those basic emotions. Mm -hmm. So it's the mouthpiece for your brain and for your soul. So the number one thing, the number one thing I ask my clients is where do you feel it in your body? And that is the first thing that I teach them, actually. And I teach all my clients, my patients, my whoever, is that we don't, we are not our emotions. We just, we get to identify them in our bodies. And we have them. They are. We have sensations. Yeah, we have sensations of emotion in our body. Because what happens, and I have fallen prey to this, and this is why it's so important to me. When I learned this lesson, it was mind blowing for me, was when you feel an emotion, you feel maybe overwhelmed, mm-hmm. right? You want to avoid it. You reach for food, alcohol, sex, social media, like insert addiction, yeah. right? Or you want to numb it with food, insert addiction. Because it's overwhelming and you feel like I can't operate, I can't function. Mm-hmm. So if I feel this emotion, I'm either going to be in bed for the next six months or, you know, on some pain relievers, I don't know, but neither one is a good idea. So I'm just going to avoid it. I'm going to build this wall because I can't handle it. But that only makes that emotion, that trauma, that whatever it is, bigger. So what we get to do is we get to de-identify. We can identify the emotion, but observe it, de-identify with it. That makes sense. Identify it to be able. That was a big. uh, That was a big thing that I discovered a couple of years ago through a lot of these different seminars and stuff that I went to. That to realize that okay, you have emotions or their sensation. There are things that I have. But they're not me. Yes. And that's that's huge. Huge. To be able to distinguish that you are not. I mean, even to the point where it's like, I mean, you really want to get into this stuff, but it's like, okay, you look at your hand, right? And it looks like a solid hand. Mm-hmm. It looks like that. But then you zoom down on it and there's like fucking a million things moving yeah. around having their own little cities. And, and it's like, yeah. so what are you? Like when you really go down the rabbit hole, like what are you? Well, you aren't your body. You aren't your brain. You, you, you have these things. Yes. You know? So I think it's really powerful though to be able, because it really dil- drills that down to what is essence, which is again, that invisible mysterious yeah. thing. It's, it's, I am something that it can't be measured. It's I am consciousness, you know? So when you are consciousness, then you are consciousness experiencing a body, ex- yeah. that, which has emotions and physical sensations. And, you don't get so, I mean, yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, we all have our, like for me, like anger has been a big one, especially as a male, you know, and learning it as a child in a, in a household where both my parents had, I, I've come to realize, especially through a lot of the trauma work stuff, I've done like the emotion code. Okay, heard of yes, that. absolutely. Really got a great 
uh, gal who does does that for me every month, and it's been life changing, man. But it's uh, it's crazy. I think we all have these dominant emotional signatures that we latch onto as kids from the people. So it's and there's only like a few of them. There's like anger, worry slash anxiety, you know, sadness, you know, aloofness, you know. So it's like whatever your flavor is that you go to based on what happens. For me, it was anger. Like if some shit doesn't go, <laughs> just. Yes push it and yeah. get angry, whatever. And it's like, Oh my God, you know, it's, it's just, it's like a little tape recorder that just keeps playing every single time until you can detach from it and say, okay, I'm having this experience. I don't have to act. I don't have to rush to get a conclusion. I don't have to rush to sit. I don't have to push. I don't have to run in front of the car, you know, it's yes. like, but it, it takes some work to unprogram that. It does. It seems and like there's a constant onion that's unfolding. And there's a key to that. Well, there's a couple things. Yes, you get to experience and observe, not identify with. And that's a whole fucking two weeks of work, right? And like just mental, like, I gotta wrap my fucking mind around this. And when you tell someone, like, oh, you're not your emotions, they're like, yeah, 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 I know. But do you really know? Do you You really really know? know. Do you really get it? Yeah, like that's the thing you have to practice. So there's that. And then I love what you said about anger and when we kind of latch onto that as kids, because when we're kids, we have this egocentric view of everything. So if something happens to us, we immediately decide that it's because of us. Mm. And our ego gets excited and then develops a protector. So maybe your protector is, well, I don't know, people please are perfectionists. Yeah. Who knows? We develop a protector and then they're best friends. Mm. And so when, as we grow up, sometimes we are angry. I'm doing that people pleaser thing again. I'm doing that fucking perfectionist thing again. Mm. And we will never, ever heal. We'll never hate ourselves into healing. So the key like is to turn around and love on that part of ourselves. Mm. You're like, oh my gosh, I was a kid. I developed, I thought it was about me. I thought that if I was perfect, then I would get love. I thought that if I got angry, I thought that if I played the victim. I thought that if I X, Y, and Z, I would get love. Mm. And now as an evolved woman, as an evolved man, I understand that that's not the case. And I can change my perception around that. Marianne Williamson says that a miracle is a change in perception. I change my perception around that. I can know that that's not true. And I can love on that part of myself. And that is the key. Because if you avoid that, you're still avoiding your emotions. But when you turn around, you're like, thank you. Thank you for trying to be there for me. Thank you for trying to protect me. I got this now. Isn't it that... I remember somebody phrased this so perfectly, but I'm probably not going to phrase this well. But it's like... These mechanisms, like these protectors, the ego, all this stuff, it's like a cage where it's only a cage when you when you struggle in it. If yeah. You, when you when you cease to struggle in it and acknowledge the cage, the cage disappears. Yes, totally. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I, I totally butchered the way I'm phrasing it, but I'm hearing you. You know what I'm saying? Like the str- the more you struggle, it's like a what is it, finger trap, a little Chinese yeah, finger yeah, trap. Yeah. The more you struggle, (laughs) (laughs) which is the instinct, right? That's that instinct is to push and and fight. Mm -hmm. But like you said, I think also forgiveness, you know, forgiveness I've noticed has has been a huge part in my own journey and and everybody who I've helped or worked with. It's like, man, we really judge a lot. Like judgment today is like all over the place and we're being trained to judge, you know, like we're being trained to judge by, the shows that we watch, you know, with American Idol and all these reality shows and all these different things. And we are constantly being 
social media, everybody's competing for their, yes. you know, who's, oh, check out this awesome experience I had, you know, what about that? Right. <laughs> I was in Bali last week, how about you? Yeah, exactly, right, yeah. That's, you know, nobody, there's no Facebook for all the shitty moments right. in your life when you're feeling unmotivated and you post like, hey, I'm feeling totally depressed. <laughs> I and, you know, I'm self-deprecating, but... <laughs> oh my God, that's our next... That's, that should be a platform. We have like this self-deprecating Facebook <laughs> I mean it. We're gonna let's trademark that. Yeah, right what would we what would we call it? Like <laughs> sad book or something. But, yeah. Yeah, but you know, it's like forgiveness is is such an important thing because if you can't make room in your mind because you got it all filled up with the past, yeah, and your judgments, then you can't really make room for the for the next thing. And when you make that room, and you if your mind is like an open. Um, pipe, let's put it that way, like an open pipe, then flow can happen. Then that creative, those creative messages we were talking about a little bit earlier with aligning to your vision, not being attached to the outcome and allowing just that mysterious, you know, she goddess to basically, I believe God is a woman, but you know, if, if it did have a gender, <laughs> but it operates in that mysterious force to allow things to flow through. But when you hang on, when you're, when your mind is already full, then that your creativity also can't function. So I think forgiveness plays a big part in that whole healing. How how has that helped with I guess, you know, your own journey or even the you know the clients that you work with? What role does forgiveness have? In oh, that? it's tremendous. Yeah. Um I have a whole module on, on forgiveness and it's interesting because typically it's forgiving ourselves that's the most difficult. Hmm. So what I find is, um, and and sometimes people have a hard time letting go. We, we get to talk about, I had this conversation with one of my kids actually the other day. We get to talk about the fact that when you hang on to resentment, you're just giving that other person your energy. Mm-hmm. You know, that it really is, you're still chained. To that Isn't there a person. quote, like Buddha, I think Buddha said this or something, but it's like, it was a parable, a Zen story of somebody who, he came to a town and somebody was like, get the fuck out of here, Buddha, like whatever. He was insulting him. And he said something like, you know, you're, you're drinking poison and expecting me to get poisoned. Mm. Something like it. Again, yeah. I'm butchering it, but it's like when you, when you hang on to hatred, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to fall ill. Mm. And it's really true, you know, like it's really not worth your time to hate, to be angry, I think, because really you're only hurting yourself. You cannot, the price you pay for hating on someone is you're damaging and fucking yourself. Yeah. You really are, because that hatred and emotion, it's not just an emotion, there's physiological consequences. Absolutely. You're, you're taking money out of your piggy bank. And you're putting it, you're spending it on this emotion, yeah. on hatred. And, the, you know, like the, the the yoga traditions believe that we're all born with a set number of breaths. So the more you freak out, the more you, <laughs> the more angry and anxious okay. you get, you're eating into your breaths, you know, so breathe slowly and, and go through life uh, you know, with forgiveness, I guess. Yeah, I, it's a huge part. And I do find that a lot of us just haven't forgiven ourselves. Do you have anything that you do on in your own practice in your life that that helps you? Like, what do you do in a situation where, like, okay, something happens and 
it's let's say mild or let's say moderately serious and it's like okay like how do you practice let's say a recent situation i don't know that that you've had that you've had in practice forgiveness how did you get through that oh you know what or forgiving yourself yeah let's say we can do you can do that one too or another person but whatever comes to mind okay well this comes with a story yeah go for it because there is a deeper fundamental belief that i have that that gets me through allowing other people to travel their journey. And it's when I was divorced, when my um, oldest was two and a half and I was pregnant with my second. And everything was, I mean, it was very difficult. And then after a few years, we went through another custody battle that was even more difficult. And I was talking to a really wise friend of mine and I was crying this custody battle was so hard and I had these tiny, tiny babies and I just was, didn't want them to go. And I didn't, you know, I had a lot of sadness and fear. And my friend said, Summer, these are not your children. They're not your children. They're children of a greater purpose of the universe of God, of whatever they have their own path Mm -hmm. and you cannot protect them from their own journey. And you cannot protect them or keep them from traveling the path that they've chosen to travel. Wow. And that saved me. I'm telling you, it saved me over and over and over again. And so in this most recent experience that I had where, you know, I did have to practice forgiveness, the same concept applies, which is like, this is their own path. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why they're angry about me has more to do with them than about me. The reason why they're triggered by me is because either there's something in me that they don't want to become or there's something in me that they do want to become. Yeah. Something right? that pulls them in a polarity of some kind. Right. I mean, if I'm triggered by someone, the first question I ask is, what, what is it about them that I want to have? Mm. Or what, what is it about them that I'm afraid that I am being? Mm. Right? It's not about them. Yeah. It's how about am I judging me. myself in this situation? Right. So essentially, it's just removing the attachment that I have to whatever's happening because it's really just not about me. Just like when we were talking about, you know, as kids, we think it's about us. Mm. Whatever happened, the divorce or, I mean, it could be anything, even something really, really small. But we decided. Funny how those small little events as children, Mm -hmm. man, they mean the world to us and they shape your behavior as an adult where even though you've caught up, quote unquote, cognitively and you think you have all these advanced ways of thinking, doesn't mean shit. Like all those little things that happened to you in that limbic brain when you were yes. little and you had that traumatic emotion because the person next to you thought you were stupid. Then right. now you always feel stupid as an adult. Yes. And you know, it's like, oh my God, it's crazy. Yes. It's really crazy. So it's remo- it's understanding that portion of what's happening and like removing ourselves from it. So recently I had someone, I confided in someone close to me. They told someone else, this person blew up and was super triggered by what I said. Mm. And I, it was painful because, you know, there was, there was a connection there, but I I got to remind myself again, like, this isn't about me. This is about her own pain. This is about her own story. It's not about me. So that's, so forgiveness in that way, it's easier to forgive. Yeah. When you know it's like, you're not attached to the path. Right. Of that person. Exactly. And that, that this is their own trajectory. And I can't necessarily influence that unless they're asking. Yeah. A teacher shows up when you ask the question. The answer doesn't mean anything unless someone's asking the question. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And in like as far as business goes, and maybe you feel the same way. I know that the people that I meant to reach, I will. And the people that I'm not, that's okay. People that aren't ready to hear what like what I have to say, it's that's fine. Yeah, there's a saying, uh, I mean you could apply it to anything in the dance world, but it's like you can't keep a happy student, you can't keep an unhappy student. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's the, especially especially here's one thing I've noticed too, especially because I have a lot of friends such as yourself that are in the space of, okay, like I'm committed to the path of transformation. And so whoever's riding with me in the current path, I know that if you're in my life, you're doing the same thing because that's my vision. And so that goes with your clients too. You know, if, if, if you have somebody in your life, like, okay, uh, you know, they're going to be there for as long as that path is going to yes. take them. And it's like, okay, what can I serve during that time? I'm not going to give you everything. I'm going to give you a part of the puzzle so that you can, you know, there's this quote, God, I got to look it up. It's we're all walking each other home. Yeah. That's our roomie. I think. Yeah. Yeah. We're all walking each other home, which is like such a cool thing to, to visualize. But really we are, you know, it's like we're all, I like how I use the word trajectory because I, I use that a lot too, which is I like to think of things as orbits and, you know, we're orbiting each other, we're, we're intersecting, you know, you see the external world that has such a good, uh, such a good model for the internal world, how things work, the invisible. Absolutely. Know? So we're all, we're all on these paths and it's like they're intersecting. If you were, if you, and the other thing too, here's another thing that kind of piggybacks off of what you said, which is. I also, if you look at, for example, I don't know, I'm a space geek. I love geeking out on space stuff. But if you look at, let's say, something that orbits and the orbit is very large, well, just because we have opposing trajectories does not preclude a common orbit. Mm. So, we, you know, we may be, and that reminds me when I'm in an argument with somebody or let's say a disagreement. Obviously, we all want to be right. We all want to be, you know, but yeah. But when you have opposing trajectories with somebody, you know, the let's say the Earth and whatever, Mars or something, pass each other and they're going in different directions. Well, that doesn't mean that they both aren't orbiting the sun. Mm. And that sun is pulling them along and it's that gravitational vision. So the point behind that is we may both have the same direction and vision in this. Let's see, where is our common, what's, what's the thing that we both want? Let's put aside all the details that we're getting caught up on the ego stuff. Forgive and what is the thing that we both genuinely want at our human core, at our yeah. spirit level? And that that's helped me a lot to kind of get through some difficult situations. Yeah, that's beautiful. That is hard. It's hard though, man. You know, it's you know, because again, we all want to be right, we all want to have control, we all have these desires, these little ego desires from from being children, you know, when yes. things got destabilized. Yes. And um, what's in your own journey? What has been, I mean, there's been a lot, obviously, a lot of pieces of the puzzle, but let's, let's say name one that's been really impactful in helping overcome trauma, like the trauma of the childhood programming and all the things that you went through, obviously, you know, throughout your life. What has been a helpful protocol? Like for me, it's been the emotion code. Emotion code is, I mean, there's been a lot. I've taken seminars, I've taken Tony Robbins, and all kinds, but if I can think of one right now that I can list right away, it's like, let's say, a modality or a therapy or a, you know, thing. the emotion code has helped me phenomenally. Mm-hmm. So that's that's been really helpful just to see in ways that, like, you don't even, 
Like I've been to Landmark, for example, which is like super language oriented and breaking down how you say things exactly and restructuring and rewiring your brain based on the words you use. You know, so that's that end of the spectrum. I've been to the energy side, Reiki, yeah. chakras, all that stuff, you know. And so I've been to, definitely done the gamut, but uh, the emotion code, it's like, I'll have a session and we're not, I'm not talking. I'm not doing any talking. I'm just there, receptive, being open. I have an intention. I have that guiding vision that, that sends me, you know, to the, okay, today I want to work on letting go of my anger or mm-hmm. today I want to like work on shame or whatever else, right? And then I find that like in the weeks following the session, I'll start reacting to things differently or things will start coming into my life. I'll have these thoughts about, I'll notice things about me here that I never noticed before. So this is really fascinating to me because there's so many effective ways to deal with trauma, you know, especially some of the things you learn in the trauma protocols, I'm sure. Yes. Stuff. So what's been one that you can name that's like super just mind blowing to you. That's been so effective with, with yourself, maybe, or with yeah. your clients that you use. It's going to sound simple. Yeah. Um, it's usually Brene, the simple things. Are yeah. Profound. <laughs> Brene, talk, Brene Brown talks about this um, in her book about shame. I think it's called, um, I can't remember. But anyway, it's about shame. But it was actually before I read that book. So I didn't tell anyone about my eating disorder. No one, zero people knew. And I had an eating disorder for a decade. Wow. Not my therapist, not my husband, not my mom, not my best friend. I mean, couldn't they tell though? Does it impact? I mean, were you anorexic? Like what was the... Um, no, I would binge and purge. I was bulimic. Binge and purge. Mm-hmm. And that didn't, like you couldn't tell from any physical... No. No? No, I hid that secret. Wow. The shame was so profound so profound. And even when I had stopped binging and purging and I, but I was still the shame. Oh my God, the shame. What got you to stop? Um, like what, what, when was the point where you were like, okay, I need to do something different. Well, it's like any other addiction. I mean, I wanted to stop the whole time. Yeah. Felt so much shame around it. Like this is disgusting. Some you're disgusting, but that's a vicious cycle, right? Yeah. The worse you feel about yourself. Like the more you want to escape those emotions, <laughs> yeah. and you escape them by binging and then getting rid of them, and then it's like this whole yeah. cycle, right? But it was a journey of transformation, transformation and self acceptance. Like really, the first part of that journey of like stopping was being like, okay, so what if I do? So what? Like taking away that judgment. So what if I binge and purge today? Oh well, right? And then slowly it was like you know what, maybe I don't need to. And then taking a risk on myself. Like I remember there were days that I had to take the risk and it was a scary, and if you've never been in that situation, I think it's hard to understand, but just like, just like with any kind of addiction, I think Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, Summer, what if I did, what if you did not stick to your diet? Mm. What are you going to do? Are you going to survive? Are you going to just, are you going to purge? Are you going to, what are you going to do? And like in those moments of like panic, I don't, I don't know. Like I want to feel normal. I want to feel not panicked. I won't, don't want to feel out of control. Mm-hmm. This is the coping mechanism that I used not to feel out of control. Mm-hmm. 
and especially with women with any kind of sexual trauma, yeah. you feel out of control. So like 99% of women with sexual trauma end up having an eating disorder. Wow. Because this is something they control. I can control my food. Interesting. So that feeling of being out of control is like just overwhelming. And so taking that risk and being like, okay, am I more important than this feeling? Can I handle this feeling? And just like talking myself down, taking a risk on myself, getting to that point where I really wanted to love myself enough to stop or to start loving myself, to start eating normal food. Just even give so. yourself the space. Yeah. But even so, like I, just, like I said, even after I stopped like bulimia, mm-hmm. like engaging in that, I still had disordered eating. I still felt like I had to control my food in some right. ways. Like yeah, I was still yeah. restrict or count my macros or whatever. There's a new term for that actually. It's called orthorexia. Orthorexia. Yeah. And it's being obsessed with clean eating. Interesting. Yeah. Now wow. clean eating has become, I mean, because there's rules. So anyway. Yeah. So back to your original question. The thing that I did that healed me the most was one of the scariest moments of my life. And I will never forget this moment. And it was when I told my friend that I had had an eating disorder. Wow. And I was crying. I was panicking. I was shaking. And the reason why I told her was because I had started hearing other women talk about their own eating disorders and their own pain. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh my gosh, she just said that. She just said that out loud. (laughs) She just said like, what? She's not exploding. She didn't spontaneously combust. (laughs) I don't understand what's going on. People are saying this stuff. And then like, as I was starting to understand that more and understood the power of that, then I knew that like I had to share, I had to say it out loud. Mm. Not only that, I had never said the word rape. I'd never said the word bulimia out loud and I'd never said the word rape out loud. So once I shared my story with my, well, I mean, so a little bit of context. When it happened, yes, I said rape. After that, never again. Never talked about it again. I would talk about it in generalities. Oh yeah, you know, sexual assault, whatever, like, the word rape was just made me nauseous. The yeah. word bulimia made me feel like the most shameful person in the universe. So anyway, I opened up to my friend and I said, I, I struggled with bulimia for 10 years and I was crying. I was so afraid looking back on this seems ridiculous. I was so afraid that she would judge me. She would be disgusted. She would reject me. Right. But of course she didn't, you know, she hugged me. We cried, you know, that, was the thing that was my healing was sharing my story. Uh-huh. That was it. And then I started, then I started saying the word rape, I believe me. And I started talking about it and little by little talk about an onion, little by little, the more I told my story, the more I felt whole mm-hmm. and I wrote about it and I did a podcast on it and, and other women were saying, Oh my God, that's me. That's me. Thank you so much for being open enough to say that. Thank you so much for sharing. So that was what healed me. I mean, I You're also integrating to like when you when you're avoiding your story, you're in this perpetual race away from whatever, right? I mean, when, when you you started talking about it, you you integrated with it and you dissolved yeah. that constant chase and running. That's exactly right. Yeah. 
So that for me was the biggest thing is, is oh. opening up and sharing. And so now it's something that I don't hesitate to talk about all, you know, the most difficult moments of my life I've shared and it's taken the shame away because there's always someone that says, Oh my God, me too. And then you have this, you know, you have this um, shared story mm. and you have this connection and that's everything, isn't it? Connection's everything. What would you tell somebody, let's say, I that they're listening right now and they're in your shoes before you told your friend? I would say that it is worth it. That's what I would say. I'd say it's mm-hmm. worth it. It's worth it to take a risk on yourself. It's mm. scary as fuck. It is scary. Yeah, we feel the whole world is going to crash down. And in some sense, the world that your ego builds, right? It seems very controlled and stable. It's like that world does crash down. So it's pretty, pretty fucking scary. Yeah. 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 I would say it's worth it. 100%. Oh Mm. my gosh. Yeah. Every frightening moment. And I wish, I don't have any regrets, but I wonder if I had shared that before. Mm. I wonder. Although now I get to share that with my daughters. I get to share that with my son. I get to share, you know, I get to say like, your experiences don't define you. Yeah. You know, and yeah. things are going to happen and they're going to be hard and you can do hard things. You can do that. Yeah. And you're okay. And you're not your emotions. And I don't believe in shame. And those things are profound. Those lessons are profound. They are, and we have to constantly remind them to ourselves because I think we get in this trajectory with our minds. Again, kind of going back to what you said about the whole ego world being this construct that we're constantly creating, and it's like this inevitable part of your brain that's constantly trying to predict the future, constantly trying to say what's going to happen and create these little frameworks for everything, and you're on this little path, and, and you have this sense of permanency. But really, ultimate reality, like right here, right now, we're in this room, and that's, that's all there is. Like, yeah. that's all there is right now, right here. There's little things moving around. It's constantly, but every minute, every second, it's a new moment. The future hasn't happened yet. Maybe there's a potential trajectory, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. You are in the present moment. And that means that every moment you were technically reborn. If you look at yourselves, yes. if you look at your, you are not the same person you were five minutes ago. So if something happened, you know, whatever in the past, yeah, that happened technically to a different person. Right. You're, you know, so it's like, but we forget that, you know, because it's not obvious, it's mysterious. It's that whole invisible thing. The thing that's obvious is, oh, I have a permanent body and I'm moving through time and I'm this permanent person that's stuck to a permanent judgment and history. And so it's, um, you brought up something about food I want to go back to, which is interesting, which will tie into another really cool thing I want to ask you about. Because you had a talk recently about how to tell the difference between fear and intuition. Yeah. And I watched it on Facebook. I'm like, this is great. I want to talk to you about this. Okay. But I think it'll tie into also this thing with, with food, which is the question I had, because what was orthotaxia? Is that what's orthorexia? Orthorexia. So, okay. Like I'll give you an example. Like in my case, particularly I'm very disciplined with my food in the sense that I'm, I have rules about what I eat and what I don't eat, but it's been the product of a lot of life experiences. And I genuinely feel good doing what I do. And it's, I've also been the obsessive type 
track of college emails, counting cards, spreadsheets. You know, definitely, <laughs> definitely have that. But I'm at the point now where, like, okay, I feel great doing what I do. I have a very like this is me. What I eat, like, I feel good about what I eat. Like, I don't put any crap in my body. Like, I'm very intentional about what I eat. So where do you draw the line? Because I think what we're driving at is what orthotaxia is. Orthotaxia? Orthorexia. God damn it. Orthorexia. <laughs> orthorexia. I don't know why I want to say orthotaxia. Orthorexia. I feel like when we talk about how do you know the difference between fear and intuition? Because let's say an orthorexia situation when you're counting your calories yes. and you're spreadsheeting and you're doing all this shit, it's really based in fear. Because deep down in the back of your mind, you're like, fuck, I may get fat or I may whatever. And there's some fear-driven thing that needs for you to control. I'm at the point where like if I, you know, like if I don't take my supplements on the weekends or if I'm traveling somewhere, like it's fine. I don't need to control it. Like, you know, during the week, I know if I'm 80-20 rule, if I'm 80% consistent with my principles that make me feel good and, you know, I'm, I'm putting healthy things in my body to feed my temple so that I can do what I need to do and serve, then I feel good. So I feel like when it comes to the diet thing, like basically, and it's all wrapped up in, how do you know... How do you tell the difference between fear and intuition? Because I think the, the difference between having the rules about what you eat and what you put in your body versus being OCD and like being fear driven, right? So let's unpack that whole thing because I think there's yeah. there's a good some good stuff in there. Yeah. And that's the other thing that I do is I am an intuitive eating coach because it just all goes together. Yeah. It just all goes together. Yeah. So, um, yes, I think you answered it. It's the difference between rules and boundaries. Right? Mm. Rules are based from fear. Boundaries are based in love. Mm. So, is it that you love your body and when you eat pizza, you feel like crap and so you don't eat pizza anymore? Or is it that you desperately want to eat the pizza, mm. but you don't want to eat the pizza because you're afraid you're going to get fat or because you hate yourself and you're trying to punish yourself? Or, and then later at midnight, you eat an entire pizza. Right? Like, where is this coming from? It's the etiology piece again. So, however, it's, okay, so yes, it's important to honor your body. Yes, all of that. And it's important to allow yourself to have things that your body wants. And when you get to a place where you know why you're eating what you're eating, then you can operate from an intuitive place. So if it's, I'm starving and I haven't eaten anything all day, and I don't care what the hell is next to me, I need to eat it. Was that honoring your body? No. Mm-hmm. What we need to do is make sure that we have enough calories during the day that we're not like now binging on like a bag of chips or whatever. If you do binge on a bag of chips, fine. No judgment. But how can we do that differently? Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I did that. I want to punish myself now. I'm going to have to go on this like juice cleanse for a week. Every fear, it, you know, the cost of something that just kind of came to me right now is the cost of in making a decision based on fear, right? So like you said with the pizza, like I want I don't I want the pizza, but I'm not gonna eat it, you know, I'm gonna try to control this in some right. way. Well, for every yin there's a yang. So for every fear there's a backlash. Totally. Do you know what I mean? So you're kind of screwing yourself. Totally. Because you cannot you can't get the benefit of safety and comfort that fear offers you without the cost of Self-sabotage. Self-sabotage, yes. right? So, and that's what happens. And, and that, again, it goes back to belief because your body wants to align with your belief. Mm-hmm. 
So whatever your belief is, I'm out of control, I'm fat, I'm stupid, I can never stick on a diet, whatever, whatever that belief is, your body will align with that belief. You will self-sabotage. So it's about changing those beliefs too and allowing yourself to be in the process of becoming something different, right? If I ask you to believe something completely different about yourself, mm-hmm. your your confirmation bias would say that's bullshit. Yeah. For the last 40 years, I believed that I was X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I can't all of a sudden just like change on a dime. It's like a train going 90 miles an hour. You can't like, yeah. like there's momentum, right? There's momentum. Exactly. So what you get to do is you can say, I'm in the process of deciding something different about myself. I'm in the process of feeling like I'm enough. I'm in the process. Acknowledge the transition. Right. And allow your ego to sit down. If you say, I'm in the process of this, your ego is not like, you're an idiot. How could you possibly say that you're worthwhile? Or whatever. Like, we know that's not true. So by, I see it. It's really interesting, actually, because you're not pigeonholing yourself into these absolutes of like, I'm bad or I need to be good. Yes. I'm in the process. Because that's your base, right? And that allows you to forgive and let go. Yes. And allow. And if you eat a bag of chips, you're like, you know what? I ate a bag of chips. Yeah. As long as you're committed to the vision, right? The vision of, okay, I'm moving in that direction. I'm not attached to Mm -hmm. every little. It's funny how much energy we waste on trying to control all the little ducks in a row. It's, it's a phenomenal amount of energy. I mean, it's like... Oh, my gosh. Yes. There's that with that Pareto principle of the 80-20 rule. I often kind of find myself thinking about it, but it's like 20% of the effort gives you 80% of the results. Mm. You know, so what that means is that if you want to control 100% of the results, you're going to put 80% more effort mm. to get that last little 20 and sometimes that's warranted. Obviously, you want something with high level of detail, sure. But like, let's say in a situation like with your diet, right? When we're talking about controlling your food and stuff, it's like there's the idea that we need to control it with our spreadsheets and our mind and our imperfect. It's like you don't have a fucking clue, but your body knows what it wants. You just need to give it the tools. It's already this complex fucking machine that we could never reproduce in a thousand years. It's been evolving for millions of years. I mean, I think they said something. I wanted to mention this before, but I forgot it. I think they measured the amount of memory that's in a gram of DNA Mm. to be 700 terabytes. Can you imagine that? Like, imagine how many hard drives. Yes. So, of course, it's there to record emotions and all these different spiritual things that are going. The body is this complex hard drive. It's like self-healing. I mean, it's Yes, there's information there that we don't have access to. On so, an ego level. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that goes back to like the fundamental question of like, well, do you give a toddler a diet? Of course not. Right. If you put a plate of food in front of a toddler, they might have two bites of sandwich and eat their entire apple and then leave. Yeah. Or if they said, there's a really great example in the book, Intuitive Eating, and uh, one of the authors talks about her son who wanted a piece of carrot cake, ate a piece of carrot cake, then wanted another piece of carrot cake. She's like, well, I mean, okay. He ate one bite and he was like, I'm good. Hmm. He he needed a piece and a bite. Piece and a That's bite. how much he needed, hmm. right? Like, and then he was good. His body said, "I'm good now," and like he goes off and plays, right? But somehow we have decided that we have to regulate, and like you can't have this, you can't have, that. and like we've taught ourselves out of what it means to be hmm. an intuitive eater. And I I am surprised. I'm daily surprised at what I eat. Hmm. Daily. In what way? 
the amount of calories that I eat. Oh, okay. So when I first started on, you know, like this whole journey years ago, and I was like, okay, I've had an eating disorder. I've been a disordered eater. I don't know what the, I don't know where my metabolism is. Like I have clearly messed this whole thing up and I need to yeah. figure it out because I want to be strong. I want to feel strong. I want to feel good in my body and I want to eat normal food. Like I've eaten normal food in 20 years. Like I don't even yeah. know what that's like. Right. So I make a meal for my family and then I make a meal for myself. Mm. Like I know millions of women who do that. It's ridiculous. Mm. So I'm like, I just want to eat a taco. Yeah. I just want to eat a taco. <laughs> like how is that too much to ask? Right. But my belief was like, yes, Summer, that is too much to ask. Your body could never do that. You could never handle that. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. So on a daily, I'm surprised by what I feel like eating and when I follow that intuition and what I eat, I mean, I eat all kinds of crazy things and I, I feel better now and I like my body better now than I ever have. It's crazy. Wow. So, but it is, the first thing is teaching ourselves something else. No, I take that back. It's unteaching ourselves. It's unteaching ourselves the diet rules, the, the, like body image, what's right, right? What's wrong? Losing weight, weight. I can't talk. It's unteaching ourselves that. It's rejecting the food police. It's allowing ourselves to eat whatever we want. It's allowing ourselves to go through that time period where we just give ourselves unconditional permission to eat. Mm-hmm. And then we start to learn about our emotions. We start to learn about like, okay, why am I eating this? Am I really hungry? Do I even know what it means to be hungry? Do I even know what it means to be full? We've taught ourselves out of that too. Hmm. By going on these juicing fasts or these. It's all related. I mean, that's really interesting because it's so funny, you know, that I think not, we don't tend to see like dieting or let's say whatever your habits around food also related to your emotions, Mm -hmm. but this, they're so connected in terms of your stress levels how do you respond to you know different situations? You know, you have to address that. It's like everything works perfectly if you just leave it the fuck alone to right. do its job, right? But if things start going out of whack because of whatever one thing or another, ego, trauma, all these type of things, you have to fix all those things together, and then it'll yes. just spontaneously do its job. It's, there is no program for death. There's only program for life. You look at everything around you, the flowers, this. The, they just keep growing until damage to the outside. Just like a human body, we age not because there's a program that says, oh, start dying now. No, it's because your body can't handle the damage anymore. So right. it's like it only knows life. Mm-hmm. So we just have to support it to create life. You know, it's really interesting. When um, my partner and I, um, when we were um, had a business together, we created Goddess Awakening. And what we found... Oh, I take that back. It was, we did a mindful eating challenge. Mm. And what we found was the way women feel about their food is exactly how they feel about their bodies and sex and money. Really? Exactly the same. All three of those things. Exactly the same. So like, give me an example. Okay. So one of my clients, um, felt like she always had to restrict her food. She was always going on these cleanses and fasts and whatever. Same thing about sex. She felt like it was dirty. Like Mm. she shouldn't, you know, she couldn't enjoy it. Something that she had to restrict. Same with money. It was never enough. She felt guilty for having it. 
when she didn't have it. She felt like if she did have it, she was a bad person. Right? Like our ideas around these things are all the same. Wow, that's fascinating. They're based in pleasure. So did you find, for example, like if you can fix or heal, yes. let's heal say one, one and the then yes. the other ones, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Then the That's other ones start to come along and you're like, okay, do you see how this is related to money? Yes, you see how this is related to whatever. Interesting. Yeah, for wow. sure. Yeah, they wow. definitely impact. But I wouldn't say, oh, you heal one, the rest are good. Right. But yeah, definitely there's healing that impacts because like a lot of it's based in pleasure, mm. allowing ourselves to have pleasure, mm. allowing ourselves to have pleasure with food. What do you think, I mean, what do you think is behind this, the opposite of that? Like, why are we not loving ourselves, especially, I guess, maybe women? Would you say women suffer from this more than men? Yes. Well, no, I don't know. I couldn't speak for men. I think men have a similar, but maybe a little bit different. Like, they feel like they have to be strong all the time. They can't cry. Mm, They can't open up. They can't be vulnerable. Right? Where women feel like they have to be perfect and please everyone and mm. there's this whole sacrifice thing and this worthiness thing it's never good enough thing i think men have the same thing not good enough yeah but in a different way a different way yeah. they also feel not good enough they also feel shame but for different things so yeah we grow up with the notion that you have to sacrifice that you have to work that nothing comes easy delay your pleasure you can't have pleasure now because it's you know it can't yeah be that. You no. work out. that you um you need to control your body Right? Especially for women. Mm-hmm. Your body defines your worth. Oh, yeah. For sure. You know, your amount of money defines your worth. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Right? So, it's all about, like, control. And then there's a sexual component. There's shame. Mm-hmm. Shame around your body. Shame around food. Shame. Like, all of that is, That's like, the shame, yeah. sacrifice, whole thing. So, it's changing that mindset, too, which is changing your brain. Mm-hmm. Like, it all comes down to fundamentally changing your beliefs. And that's why I was like, brain changer is the only thing, like it keeps coming up. Like this is the thing that's fundamentally at the core of it all mm. is changing our beliefs, changing our brains around that. Wow. Yeah. It's that, pretty fascinating. It's really fascinating. Yeah. What does showing up mean to you? That's a great question. <laughs> you know, I always thought, like, I would make these posts about showing up, and I always thought yeah. everyone knew what I meant. Yeah. And I had a couple of friends who were like, well, I don't like showing up. Like, does that mean that I I need to work on showing up? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, I don't like being in front of a camera. I don't like performing. I don't mm-hmm. like expressing. They thought it was some extroverted thing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay. That is not what I meant. I'm so, wow. All right. Thank you for telling me that this is how you interpret it. By showing up, I mean, like, how you show up for yourself, like how you live your life, how you walk your walk, how you talk your talk, how you wear your clothes, how you interact with people, what you believe about yourself, Hmm. how you show up for yourself. Remember I talked about like taking your risk on yourself. That's what I mean. Like how do you, what kind of risks do you take for yourself? What kind of investments do you make in yourself? Hmm. How do you show up for yourself and how do you show up to the rest of the world? Hmm. How do you serve the people that you love. What's your impact? What's your purpose? Mm-hmm. Right? And if we don't if we don't have fundamental beliefs about ourselves first, we can't do any of those other things. If we don't show up for ourselves first, we can't show up for the world, for the people that we love. It's that whole 
you've heard that whole thing about like put the oxygen mask on yourself first, right? Yeah, and you know, it's funny, I recently read an article about some plane that had to land, and like I think something like 80% of the people got it wrong. Of course they did. (laughs) (laughs) I remember, you know, the first time I heard that, I was like, what about my kids? And like, oh, Summer, come on. Like, how can you serve your children if you aren't breathing? If you're not like, breathing, so yeah. So that's what I mean by showing up. I mean, mm-hmm. like, by what you do every day, by your integrity, how you honor yourself and others. Mm-hmm. Right? Are you living at your highest and best? Are you, are you in alignment with what you said yes to being at the beginning of this life. Who did you say yes to being when your soul arrived here? Mm. Are you in alignment with that? That's what I mean by showing up. It's like, you know, you almost have to be first aware that you even have, I think like, and we also have a lot of cynicism today. You know, like people are either, what I've noticed, either like they're very cynical, so they're not in alignment or in tune with types of things because really to, to even get to showing up and to realize I need to take a risk for myself you need to first realize like wow there's something greater than binge watching Netflix or being yeah. just in the matrix yeah. you know what I mean so I mean how do you wake people up to the idea that hey there's more to the physical world in front of you like, you know what <laughs> that's such a great question I don't think you do you do yeah I don't think you do I think you allow them to be wherever they are you meet them with compassion and you meet them with acceptance and you love on them. And then the people who are asking the questions, if you're that teacher, then you show up for yourself and for them at your highest and best. But you can't lead people somewhere they don't want to go. You certainly can't show anyone something they don't want to know about. And that's hard, right? Especially if it's people we love. But we get to love them where they are that's us being in, on our evolutionary path, right? We can't, we can't take responsibility for someone else's growth. So this is another thing that I've been working really hard on lately is when you, let's say I took responsibility for your happiness. I noticed that maybe you were a little off yeah. during this podcast right. and I thought, well, maybe it's me. And I was like, are you okay? Yeah. Are you, you okay? People please remote. Right. And then you'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, well, are you, are you sure that you're okay? Because <laughs> so what I'm telling you is, in order for me to be okay, you have to be okay, right, which means yeah. you're responsible for my emotions. Right. So now we get entangled and right. codependent. <laughs> yeah. And then I also say that you, that I want to take responsibility for your journey. Mm. I'm taking away your own healing mm. and your own pain and the wisdom that comes from that. Mm. Like, here, I'll fix it for you. Here, is everything okay? Let's go through here. Let's make a spreadsheet. Let's go through a scenario. How are we going to solve this problem? I think you should talk to this person. This is what you should right. say. So, like, I am taking away all of that opportunity from you. Hmm. So, in that way, if someone else is on their own trajectory and they're on their own path and they're doing their own thing and you feel like maybe they're not woke, then you just love on them in their unwoke state. Yeah. And you realize that there's always something you can learn from all everyone. Space. All yeah. Space for them. And just be like, okay, that's cool. I'm sure there's something I can learn from you. Maybe it's about being in the present. Maybe it's about being more selfish. Maybe it's about being whatever. They say that our greatest teachers are, you know, the the people that are difficult to challenge. Totally. (laughs) Those jerks. (laughs) Right? 
Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> what, uh, anything coming up for you? You started that podcast, the new podcast, right? I do have a new podcast. Yes. What's, I'm the, what's the name? It's the Brain name? Changer. Brain Changer. Okay. All right. Good. Nice. So I'm going to launch that in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. We'll put a link for it in the, in the blog. Oh, post. perfect. Yes. It'll be up by the time this is published. So that'd be perfect. But, uh, any, anything else coming up that you're excited for? Projects. Um, the events. There's always projects and events. I do have. Um, it looks like there may be a one day workshop that I might be hosting, um, and I'll give you more information on that. Oh, cool. There's always my one on one coaching, which I'm just. Oh, it's lighting me up. It's my passion. It's my purpose. It's amazing. That's awesome. Um, and I'll give you the link to my website. Yeah, we'll put it on the blog post there. Yeah. So, at least for now, that's what's happening. That's plenty, right? That's plenty. What are you most grateful for right now? Oh, that's a beautiful question. I am so grateful for the relationships that I've cultivated, the relationships that I've that have shown up in my life. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. When you have a relationship with someone, even when you just meet them, you it's like a mirror, right? You're like, wow, I really changed my beliefs about myself. And I really mm-hmm. care about myself this much to have this other really cool person show up in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, good job me, <laughs> in a way. It's right? like we, we only understand ourselves in reference to... Experientially. Experientially yeah. to everybody else. Yeah. So I'm so grateful mm-hmm. for the relationships that I have. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what incredible, beautiful blessings. Yeah. So that is what I'm most grateful for. I'm most grateful for um, the opportunity that I get to serve. That is everything. Yeah. That's everything. Saves us from ourselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> but only if you're asking. Yeah. It was a quote. And God, you said, like, if you want to get the easiest way to lose yourself mm. is in the service of others. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty so beautiful. It's like, it's, that's one thing I always remind myself as I am. I can echo what you just said. Is I'm so grateful to be able to serve, to yeah. be able to be aware that I can serve because otherwise life is just so small. I was listening to this really cool podcast this morning and they were talking about that. So, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in our own healing, mm. that becomes a disease. Mm. And we, gotta, we have to come home, integrate, and serve. Yeah. Like, oh, Put your attention on, on the outside for a little bit. Yeah. Change. Because that, that's our purpose, mm. especially for us, right? That's, yeah. that's what we do. That's what lights us up, like, is to serve. So I'm grateful that I, I'm grateful that I have that opportunity. Yeah. And that I found my calling. I don't know if many people can say that. I don't think too many. Not too many can say that. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome, Summer. Thank you so much. This has been okay. such a blast. <laughs> it's a brain changer. Make sure you check it out. Yes, thank you. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with my good friend, Summer Catherine. You know, we talked about a lot of great stuff in this interview, but I hope it left you with a few things. And the first one is that you can always change. You can always take action. 
And, you know, no matter where you are in life, you have the power to change your circumstances, to shine from the inside out, right? If you have an eating disorder, if you have disordered eating pattern, like we talked about in the interview, you can find help. You can find support. You are not alone in your problem. And the third and final point I think that I wanted to leave you with with this is I hope that this conversation stimulated your mind. You know, I hope it stimulated your mind with some powerful perspectives on sexuality, on confidence, on achieving your dreams, on taking action. You know, if you're male, if it helped you define your masculinity. You know, we talked a lot about some interesting perspectives on that. And likewise, if you're female, if it helped you find a little bit of yourself today. Again, if you want to follow Summer, She's at summercatherine.com. That's spelled summer like the season, S-U-M-M-E-R-C-A-T-H-R-Y-N, catherine.com. Instagram, she's sunnysummer04. And on Facebook, she is summerbloyer, B-L-O-Y-E-R. And again, don't forget, mention this episode and you will get a free coaching. Summer's being very generous with her time by promoting this. So take advantage of it while she is available, guys. Make sure you mention this episode 182. Shine from the inside out for that free coaching session. Summer's helped a lot of people. And you can check out her website for more information on her programs and what kind of coaching that she would be a good fit for you. And let's remember our quote. I'm going to read this to you. It's, you know, it's such a beautiful quote. Like I said, you probably recognize the first two lines in this, but I think it's it's so poetic. It's definitely worth remembering again as we close this episode. Marianne Williamson from A Return to Love, Reflections on the Principles of A Course in Miracles. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, or fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, that's Marianne Williamson, A Return to Love, Reflections on the Principles of A Course in Miracles. Today, we unpacked a lot of things, guys, in this conversation. I feel honestly like we probably could have gone for another hour or an hour and a half by the end. But the main theme of this episode was shine from the inside out. And that's what I want you to take home today. You know, you always have the power to shine. And in my opinion, the responsibility to shine. We all have those gifts. We all have a difference to make in the world. And that difference can be made every day. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Tune in on Tuesday for some Tuesday transformation. And next Friday, we're going to get into eating mindfully. So kind of a little piggyback off of this interview when we talked about intuitive eating. But three steps on how to eat mindfully, which is super, super important for your life. The simple things done over and over again, I always say, make the biggest difference. Until then, hope you have an amazing Friday, amazing weekend, wherever you happen to be. And remember, as always, 
Your life is a dance, so go out there and dance it well. For more episodes and weekly content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.